Welcome to the Psych Experience. Hello everyone, welcome back to Psych Experience, the podcast for those who love psychology and psychiatry. Today we will talk about tips to approach refractory depression besides medications, right Dr. Nadi? That's right. All right. Uh, and why did we pick this topic out of the other suggested ones? Because uh, I think uh, overall it matches our mission in a, in a very direct way. Hmm. Do you mind elaborating a little bit? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so it, it seems that as a result of, um, I would say, multiple factors, psychiatry sort of abandoned common sense and ha has been, um, in a sense, medicalizing human problems you know, left and right. And as such, people have been sold a bunch of lies. Like, for example, that feeling down or feeling anxious are signs that something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. it, it turned to completely ignore decades of, of phenomenology and psychology. Okay, what, what do you mean by saying that psychiatry is selling a bunch of lies? Well, first of all, you know, selling the idea that feeling stuff means disease or that we have an answer for, for those feelings, you know, that we have an answer to all kinds of things that make us, makes us humans and, and, and that they came in the shape of pills. While, in fact, you know, those pills, even though they have their utility, many times they come with more damage than benefits. Right, so our uh, you know humble mission is to bring back common sense, psychology, philosophy, and uh, you know minimize the damage treatments uh, can cause to patients, right? Y yeah, and, and and we're willing to take all the help we can. So again, thank you, folks, for sending suggestions. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, so refractory symptoms. Um, are we talking about depression or anxiety or both? I, I would say both here because. Um, we, we need to make a didactic distinction here between what we could call structural disorders. I'm talking maybe about what used to be called, there was a separation back in the day. Uh, it, it would be like psychotic disorders and neurotic disorders, right? We mm -hmm. spoke about how uh, the chemical imbalance thing is a fallacy. And the problem uh, is that, um, so for, for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, um, you know, we're still more inclined to believe that uh, there is a, a biological underlying process that is not learned. Mm -hmm. Meaning, um, you know, they 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 are maybe they have more genetic. They are more genetic entities than depression and anxiety, because the distinction between them by saying there's a chemical part of your brain operating. Yeah, of course, there, everything we do has a chemical back, uh, uh, substra sub substract. Everything we do has n n neurons firing. And so really the, f the presence of it doesn't tell if there's a difference between them, you know? Um, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, so basically we're talking about here, f the distinction we're gonna talk today, we're gonna talk about, um, 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is what we're going to talk today about is, is the, 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 the neurotic disorders, you know, like the persisting depressive symptoms, persisting anxiety symptoms, as opposed to be talking about persisting schizophrenic or, 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 or manic symptoms. Hmm. Yeah, I see, I, see, I see what you're trying to explain. Yeah, like if everything we do has a neurochemical correlate, not necessarily a cause, but a correlate. Yes, 
then we cannot distinguish, for example, like schizophrenia, uh, schizophrenia from MDD based on that. Yep. We need something else to dis distinguish it, right? Yes, yes. In, in, uh, so we like to think that schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are essentially biological, but even that expression carries no meaningful, that has no meaning. Because, um, uh, you know, c claiming basically that uh, the biology would be on the etiology or cause, but, but meaning like I cannot learn to be schizophrenic mm -hmm. unless, you know, some fancy use of uh, high drugs or uh, like heavy drugs or something, which is actually possible. Um, while I can learn how to be depressed or, or anxious given the right life circumstances, mm -hmm. even though some people are very resilient to those life circumstances and don't develop depression or anxiety no matter what they go through. Some people don't develop PTSD no matter what they go through. Uh -huh. So, you know, uh, the distinction is kind of a, so difficult to make and we, we still don't know enough. Um, so that's why I said we like to believe, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting uh, too circumstantial here. But I, I also recall you saying that most uh, most people with anxiety have anxiety as a trait since childhood. Right? Yes, yes. Oh man, you're killing me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, and you see now we're talking about anxiety, and it means that generalized anxiety disorder could be a mix of a learned disorder, plus based on personality traits or te temperament or, or biological traits. Biological in the sense that they're independent of your relationship with the with the environment, which is also a very daring statement. And, and, and I think maybe the summary of this conversation is uh, we don't know because the same could be said by depression, but in, in general, low mood and limiting anxiety may be the result of the interaction between a normal brain and the environment. Um, a way to look into this thing could be like this. If you and I had started running regularly when mm -hmm. we were 10 years old, we would still not be as fast as Usain Bolt. There's a limit, there's a biological limit. We wouldn't even be Olympic runners because there's a, some biological traits that go along with that. The capacity right. of going manic may be reserved to a small amount of people. The capacity of having perceptual disturbances without the use of chemicals mm -hmm. may be reserved to a small amount of people. And yet, when you look to twins, identical twin studies, and you find schizophrenics, not you don't find that 100% of the time both of them actually have the symptoms. Right. So there's a lot we don't know there. So, you know, and, and that's why I kind of tried to summarize and just say, yeah, just depressed-related symptoms and anxiety-related symptoms. That's what we're going to address here today. Mm -hmm. Let me stop you right there just because I, I got a little bit lost. Uh, what are you trying to convey here? So maybe I'm trying to convey that we, we should be second-guessing ourselves a bit and, and being hesitant to throw... Um, medications uh, at patients with presentations that could be considered normal reactions of a normal brain to mm -hmm. life or I'm trying to say that not all human problems can be addressed with medications I guess that's what I'm trying to okay, say it makes sense now uh, so where do we start then okay so we're going to start with the safest and move towards the most uh, the more speculative topics and if we feel that they got too speculative we can just not granted that we're talking about psychology here but uh, while some may criticize the use of psychological theories as and such as you know in favor of what we would hope psychiatry is based on meaning you know science 
Unfortunately, the amount of science back in psychiatry is not that much better than what we have in psychology. So what would be a safe topic in that regard? So I think I want to start with histrionic personality disorder. Um, uh -huh. and so we go with first with DSM, uh, and then we expand. So I'm going to read real quick here the, the diagnostic criteria for histrionic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So we have for histrionic personality disorder a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionally and attention-seeking. Uh, oh, ex excessive emotionality and attention-seeking beginning by early adulthood and uh, present, in a, present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or, five or more of the following. Uh, the person is uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention. Interaction with others is often characterized by inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior. Displays rapidly shifting and shallow expressions of emotions. Consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to self. Has a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic and lacking in detail. Shows uh, self-dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion. Is suggestible which means easily influenced by others or circumstances and considers relationships to be more intimate than they, that, uh, than they actually are. Okay, so how does that relate to refractory symptoms? So, we will start with the fact that originally histrionic personality disorder was called hysteria. Mm -hmm. uh, the, or at least had roots in the concept of hysteria. The understanding of it was much more... Um, well, a loss, I think a, a lot was lost when efforts to get rid of psychology in favor of a more descriptive version of DSM and with, you know, less uh, inference, I would say. Inference, 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 which is fair, right? It, it's fair. Uh, but, but as you know, you know, you know how carefully I say this thing, we, we could have done a, a better job. And the reason I say carefully is because, you know, mm. I haven't written my own version of the SM well, yet. No, good. I'm kidding. Uh, but um, basically, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult task, and you know, I don't criticize it uh, like lightly. You know, it's uh, we just have to look more into it. Okay, so when you when you say um, do a better job, what do you mean by that? So, okay, so looking to the criteria that I just read, you find that the patient uses physical appearance to attract attention. Now. The criteria does not imply that you are you dress in an eccentric way, like we would say schizotypal personality disorder would do, but in a provocative way, in an attractive way. It also says that the patient uses physical attraction to draw attention, like um, to have that personality disorder, you have to be good looking. So if you end up not being attractive, then you know you don't get the diagnosis because <laughs> you cannot do that kind of stuff. I see, I see what you meant uh, uh, by we could have done a better job now. <laughs> yeah, so, so we look back when, where the concept of hysteria came from and the, say, sort of spirit behind it, meaning, mm. you know, what underlines, which is something that psychiatry tried to uh, divorce itself from. Um, but the things that underlie uh, the, the presentation from an experiential perspective, uh, even an observer, observational perspective, what is behind the pattern of behavior is wanting your wanting, mm -hmm. but not wanting what you have to offer. To, what you have to offer, right? 
like like why? Okay, so so let's have a classic example that will match the, the, the current description. A very attractive person that is to some fair extent uh, flirtatious, mm -hmm. but does so to keep everyone interested, like in this person, right? So I'll go with her, which may be um, uh, someone may frown upon, but here we go. Think of an attractive woman who's flirtatious, you know, and she does so to keep a small legion of admirers chasing her. But she has no interest in any of those guys or doesn't have an interest in most of them. In, in other words, what is underlying her behavior is the fact that she wants their wanting. But she doesn't want whatever they have to offer her. She just really wants them wanting her. Okay. Now, we take that wanting the wanting but nothing else and transpose it to a clinical situation. A patient with histrionic personality disorder will present with refractory symptoms of anxiety or depression more frequently, uh, a history of multiple trials, frequently multiple allergies or intolerance to medications, and an ongoing demand for help. Now, in the beginning of the treatment, and unfortunately I've seen this happen too many times, and I saw that happen to m many other professionals that I, I was mentoring, they may present as someone very grateful for your ideas and treatments, may praise you, they may say that you are way better than the previous providers, and everyone listening to us now is probably smiling, because that happens. You see a patient for the first time, the patient puts you on a pedestal and says, you're the best ever, you know, I've been doing this thing for 20 years, doctor, you really got it. And, um, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, that the patient may even come back after a first medication change and say he's you know doing super she is doing super super bad or like oh my god now finally my life started kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So what is being done here is is what seductive in a clinical setting looks like, right? Because you would think that a, a patient that is trying to be sexually seductive towards a provider really it's is in bad shape. You know the patient doesn't know it, it's it's just like. How can I explain? There's, uh, it's not a um, very sophisticated thing to do, mm -hmm. but a slightly more sophisticated patient will be seductive in the context. And seduction in a medical context is appealing to the ego of the provider, in a sense, right? Now, you're going to feel great about yourself, and we all fell prey to it. We all did. I did. People I worked with did. I heard every time I, I present this topic to someone that I'm mentoring, I, I cannot prevent but see them smiling and shaking their heads because we have been there so many times. Now, you feel great about yourself. Um, you know, after all, a patient has been in treatment for years, claims that you're the best, you know. You're really hooked. You're seducted. And then that crumbles very quickly and nothing else is working again. And now you're making frantic efforts to help the patient who's coming back saying, well, you know, that initial benefit is gone. And unfortunately, in despite of all your efforts now, the patient no longer improves. Right. So the patient has your wanting to help, but not necessarily any help. Yeah, that will be the concept. And, 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 and I have had the opportunity to see, you know, as I said, a lot of cases. Uh, in, 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 uh, so they, they present multiple complaints and multiple limitations to address their complaints allergies, different types of intolerance, and, and you're really left with no options plus constant requests for help. You know, you can find clues in their social life as well as, as the concept of personality disorder, you know, kind of involves all those traits. 
uh, and those traits are present in all domains of their their lives you know sort of a right personal relationships and stuff okay so want you wanting but not what you have to offer mm -hmm. huh. interesting how to manage that <laughs> God only knows. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I'll refrain from discussing it from a psychotherapeutic perspective and focus on the medication perspective of things, okay? Because I think that's, um, that's what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. So if we have someone whose presentation involves frequently making complaints and pointing limitations and impediments of your efforts or therapeutic strategies, granted that our therapeutic strategies are very limited, but let's say I'm wrong, right? Let's say all complaints are valid and then all the intolerances and allergies are also truthful. Doesn't matter. The approach will be the same. There's, the result is pretty much the same. And I and I trying to find a hole in this thought process by proving it wrong. And I wasn't able to. But you know, if someone listening to this say hey, you missed this point, please email us. So back to it. If the patient is suffering but was exposed to multiple therapies and they all failed or were unbearable from a side effect perspective, meaning you know the side effects were perceived as worse than the, the said disorder or the potential benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, when do we stop? When do we say, okay, you have tried most antidepressants, most of the mood stabilizers, most of the second generation antipsychotics, most of the you name it, right? All the augmentation thinkable things and prescribing you things that are not even psychiatric medications. What reasons do I have to believe whatever I have left will make a difference or be well tolerated? Mm, so you stop. Other fields of medicine have more clear stop signs. In psychiatry, <laughs> yeah, in psychiatry, we, we haven't explored that topic enough. Mm -hmm. but, but logic points to the fact that whatever we have to offer when offered based on the proper match of a diagnosis and treatment has very modest results. So w w what to expect from cases like this where nothing can be done, nothing's tolerated, and whatever was tried failed? We already have poor results when we have a nice match between treatment and diagnosis, right? We have poor results even when we're doing everything right. Now, in this case, the hypothesis is we missed the diagnosis of histrionic personality disorder. This patient doesn't want improvement. This patient wants your frantic efforts to help, mm -hmm. to be present. You keep doing what you're doing, but stop hurting the patient with chemicals. Hmm. But uh, I see that instead of uh, talking more about the personality uh, disorder, you took a turn in there. Yeah, yeah. It's hmm. because, okay, so some people think that, all right, it's because some people, here we go. Some people think that telling a patient something like, we have tried multiple meds and consequences were nasty, and I wonder if we should stop until we figure a better way, or, you know, why, or, or how, or what, right? What to do? And sort of stop throwing meds at the patient. By some people, that's seen as wrong because we should be always offer, offering hope. Uh, okay, I heard that during my training. And I said, oh, yeah, I don't think I want to give any more meds to this patient. And I, I heard from an attending, well, but you got to offer hope, right? In the sense of I should continue to offer meds. And I agree. We should always be offering hope, mm. but without selling lies. And we do sell a lot of them. And one of them is that, is, is, you know, is to say that whatever your struggles are, we have a pill for it. Sorry, we don't. Mm -hmm. we, we do, we have, so we, we do have, however, you know, some, some problems that stem from those treatments. So my chances of fixing your anxiety or depression or your personality disorder are very modest to nil. But I guarantee you that I can give you some problems 
that are not in your head, like diabetes, <laughs> erectile dysfunction, obesity, high cholesterol, cognitive uh -huh. side effects. Yeah. So <laughs> now you're being socially cautious. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> no, man. No, the, the thing is that the point was to say that if the listener is in the group of people who feel offended as a profession, you know, um, I still can present plausible arguments in favor of stop hurting patients. But if the listener may be thinking that, you know, it will be an easy task to say, let's stop the trials, but I assure you, it is not, mm -hmm. right? It is not. It's not an easy task to stop the trials at all. But it's, so the reason I took that turn was because of that. I was like, okay, someone is listening now and saying, oh, you should keep offering. Um, you know, your diagnosis may be wrong. So then I took a turn and I said, well, even if my diagnosis is wrong of histrionic personality disorder, if I got this all wrong, I should still stop hurting this person because that's the very recommendation that is made for histrionic personality disorder is stop throwing chemicals. Stop from a, from a psychological perspective would be stop playing that dynamic. Stop responding to the seduction. Stop trying to be the savior of this patient with new chemicals. Mm -hmm. Try another strategy for, for starts, which is hold back a little. Um, but from a medical perspective, it will be, well, this guy has failed so many trials, has had so many side effects, and uh, I don't have any reason to believe anything's going to make a difference at this point. So, um, but you know, but, but at the end of the day, it's very hard to say no to a patient that mm -hmm. is pursuing more meds. It's very hard to say, um, you know, um, and one of the reasons is because you're no longer feeling that dynamic, the patient may get very active and requesting stuff, you know? And um, what happens when you do that? And this is another thing to worry about. When you say, we're not gonna try anything, we're gonna see if we learn something about it. We'll, we'll wait a little, let's see what, what this thing goes, because you have been struggling with the symptoms for so long and all attempts only made you feel worse. We're gonna just look at it for a while. Because nothing helped, then what's the difference between nothing or something that has hurt you many times? Mm -hmm. um, But once you play, stop playing that dynamic, likelihood is your patient will leave you. Because if that, and, and that in a sense is a confirmation, because in a sense, not a full confirmation, but the patient is looking for a dynamic that is not being fulfilled anymore, you're going to have the patient request another provider. Right. There is no evidence that keep trying brings any benefits, right? Not to my knowledge. And, and by now, the listener may have noticed the similarities between this presentation and factitious disorder. Now, being the same or not, the management seems to be very similar. You know, you try to keep the patient engaged while you stop the damage. It's very tough. Mm. Refer to psychotherapy, maybe? Yeah, or perform it yourself. You know, the thing about referrals or, or, or deferrals between therapists and psychiatrists <laughs> is that Well, we could discuss this, discuss this another time, but in summary, when a therapist says, maybe your antidepressant isn't working, or the psychiatrist says, have you discussed this with your therapist, it's the same as saying, I don't know what the hell to do, you must, you know, must be the other guy's fault. So much for giving hope. Right, <laughs> and, and, and that is done a lot. That is done a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, very fair. Should we jump to the next topic or split it? Um, I think we should... Uh, split the topics go, go over part two. Oh yes uh, i have an idea some we're gonna we're gonna go a little deeper 
into psychology on the part two and more speculative topics. Mm-hmm. Th- they're not speculative at all, to be <laughs> honest with you. But they could be more speculative. <laughs> they, they, well, they, they are speculative from a medical perspective, but from a psychological perspective, they're going to sound terribly obvious because w- what we're going to explore next time is the, the, the relationship between life mm-hmm. and persistence of symptoms in a legit way like you know like while histrionic personality disorder you have this uh this the problem is the dynamic right Mm -hmm. um when we have people uh with persistent symptoms that are uh stemming from on a very obvious level chronic stressors what are the chances of full remission if the problem persists right so Basically, is you you have you can use medications, but you have to have the patient invested in changing his or her reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, so we're going to go a li- little bit deeper in psychology in those episodes, and it may, may be a little bit more difficult than the one we just covered. But um, so I think I think we should split. Very cool. Then um, all right. Before we go today, I would love to remind the listeners that we do have previous episodes for this podcast available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. Uh, we are also posting on social media now, so you can look up for the Psych Dot Experience. I'm just putting some snippets there of uh, medications and side effects, um, and of course the link for our podcast on Spotify. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Nadi, and I hope to see you next week again. Absolutely. We'll be there. This podcast was offered by NEPMI.org.